0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Sales Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lemon, and today's guest is Sonique Brown. Really excited to have her on. It's my wife's good friend, like childhood friend. So we got linked up. She's a part of the family as I kind of look at it. And literally, she's coming out with a training strategy for coaches. So people that are selling services and how they can go about doing a one-call close. And normally, I'm like, man, one-call closes are really, really tough. But when you hear her strategy and her thought process behind it, it's not just getting on the phone and hanging up and then going to the next, like turning and burning through leads. It's the proper way to do homework and research and have intelligent, insightful conversations with prospects. So I know you guys are gonna love this conversation. So sit back and enjoy it with Sonique Brown with the One Call Close Method. So I'm really excited to have sonique brown on the podcast this morning and you know one of the things that i love talking about sales obviously i love talking about marketing and really growing your business and Mm -hmm. you know most of the research shows that women dominate at a much higher closer rate than like men and i think it's kind of a sneaky it's kind of people don't really see it coming for whatever reason but i want to figure out how the hell men can really try to close better and how we can do it more efficiently and effectively so welcome on to the podcast sonique
1: thank you but I think (laughs) Joe when it comes to men versus women in sales it's unfortunate but you're automatically at a disadvantage anyway
0: talk about this man why
1: (laughs) because women are women women I don't know I think with women obviously if you look good it's easier to to make sales and women connect with women and then of course men um, are attracted to women on the other side of that when it comes to Men, men can relate to men, but women don't typically enjoy buying from men. It's usually a different type of experience.
0: All right. So tell, so talk to me from the women's perspective, because I haven't had this conversation yet. So dealing with men, dealing with it like a, any, any sales guy, right? When you're out mm-hmm. looking for whatever you're trying to purchase, how is that experience different whenever you're working with a woman salesperson versus dealing with a guy who's trying to sell you on something? Is it like what's the what's the nuances that people don't really see? I guess.
1: Well, I can tell you from my perspective. So when I talk to women, if a woman is trying to sell me something, yeah, I feel like it's usually more relatable. It's usually like, "Girl, and yes, and you know, a little bit of that," or, or you know, they speak to the heart too a little bit more, and it makes you feel even if that's part of the game, it makes you feel like it's sincere. With guys, if a guy's trying to sell me something, I'm automatically thinking he's trying to take advantage out the <laughs> gate, <laughs> out the gate. Like you could have sold me tier one or tier two, but you're trying to give me tier five because you're thinking about that commission. Sure. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a disadvantage, unfortunately, but it's just the, the mentality that we have. Um, it's not that you can't connect with us, you just don't connect with us the same way. And women especially, we need to feel like we trust you. So with other women, we can take our guard down a little bit, but with a guy, especially, unfortunately, because of the way the world is and the way people people can be, then a lot of times guys aren't trusted. It takes, it's a little harder. It takes a little longer for the guy-girl combo. 100% I mean guy, girl, girl yeah but guy, girl it's a little tricky
0: (laughs) I can definitely roll with that though I mean like honestly I think it's one of those things where trust is everything trust is the foundation so if you don't have trust it's difficult to build anything off of that and even try to get anything Mm -hmm. done right in business or in life so you know um, I would definitely say that there is something there that women can build that trust factor a lot quicker and why not maximize your actual you know advantage points so how did you first get into sales? What was your first lead in? Like what was your first snap that like you were selling?
1: So I have unofficial selling and official selling. Oh, I want the unofficial <laughs> business. I want the
0: unofficial. the unofficial.
1: I don't want the resume. Yeah. The resume, you know, nah. there's that there's that part, but the unofficial part, um which I didn't realize until way down the line, you know, when you look back and you're reflecting on how you got to where you are today. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a job working in a photo lab um, for for Eckerd. It was my first job. I was 15 years old. And at the time, um, I was cool with the manager. And then when she left, we had a small team and they decided not to put a specific manager over the photo lab area. So we kind of were doing our thing processing, you know, pictures, things like that, making, you know, minimum wage, five and change um, at Mm -hmm. that (laughs) that time. But being in the photo lab... That was that 525 year. I remember that. Yeah, I can't (laughs) believe it's it's barely bumped up since then, actually. it's a long time ago. But, you know, so we're... um, I'm in the photo lab processing pictures and it was kind of a unique job because most people my age were in, you know, bagging groceries or, you know, fast food. So I guess kind of word got around at school that I was in the photo lab. And every time there was an event at school, people would pass me their film, because we had film at that time, (laughs) film and those disposable uh, cameras Mm -hmm. to go ahead and process for them. So Maybe the first time or two, the one-offs or people I was close to, I would kind of just do it for them. But once I realized that there were a lot of interested parties, um, there was an opportunity to make some money. So I charged $5 for singles and $7 for doubles. (laughs) I took the film home, processed it. And the turnaround time was great too. So they got good customer service. <laughs> it was usually back within one to two business days, based on when I went into the, you know, to the job. Um, they didn't have to come up there to pick it up and come back, you know. So it was delivered right to school. And I used to rack up during um, prom and homecoming, any type of special events in school. I used to rack up. And I never thought about it. I just thought at that time, I was just doing what I needed to do. It was extra money. I was in school and I had that job. I even had another job for a period of time. And then I had that as my side hustle. But it was later when I'm realizing that I'm on this whole trajectory of sales, sales, sales. Like, when did I get into sales? Was it always a thing for me? And when I thought back, I was like, I guess that's when it started, my commission commission position. So, like, <laughs> like essentially
0: that. what you did was have, like, a base, and then you had a side hustle commission job. And so exactly. you were really tapping it.
1: I was doing great. Yeah. I was doing great. It was a good time.
0: So, so, you know, like, when people started coming to you and they said, hey, I got, you know, I see that you work at Eckerd. You can possibly do this for us. W- mm-hmm. Was it automatically, like, light bulb moments? Oh, I can get paid? Or was it something that people had to keep hitting you up? I'm just curious of, of how that process was, just even understanding that there's a business here that I could jump into.
1: So really, you know, in the beginning, your friends would know, your immediate friends and family. So, of course, you'd hook them up on the on the low, right? you will do, do a little batch here, a little batch there, and it was simple. But when I saw it starting to snowball because one person mm-hmm. will tell somebody else, it's like when you <laughs> – I don't know why this just came to mind. You know, as soon as you pull out the pack of gum – And one person asked for a piece and now everybody asks and now you're sitting there with nothing. Mm -hmm. I started feeling bombarded with all this film and I'm like, I'm not doing this for free. This is a lot of, you know, this is work. It's not hard work. I can do it while I'm, you know, at work already, but the one and two, you know, that's fine. But constantly, no, especially for people that I wasn't even close to like that. So after that, I just, it's crazy because I didn't even really have to come up with a whole sales pitch. The demand was already there. I was in in place, mm-hmm. so I just quoted my prices, and that was it. It was still cheaper than what the store would be offering, and um, it was convenient. So they couldn't deny it. So why not?
0: Beat them on price and the whole convenience factor. I get it. I get it. I see what you were mm-hmm. doing back in the day. Was this mm-hmm. high school? This was this was like around sophomore this year was or something. High
1: school. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: That's dope. I like mm-hmm. that.
1: And I kept it up that whole time. As long as I was there, I was doing it the whole time.
0: Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So you, you made this into a full-time career. <laughs>
1: it pretty much. If I was really thinking about it, really trying to milk it, I, I could have probably done some additional, you know, promotions, mm-hmm. letting people know. But word of mouth was enough to keep me paid. And for someone my age, I mean, that was more than the, the minimum wage that I was getting, so it was cool.
0: So I, I love the fact that you... That you got into it early, like like around mm-hmm. high school. Cause I was I was just changing tires back in high school. I was working a good year. Anytime I wasn't mm-hmm. playing football I was just back in the, you know, back in back in that little shop, you know, like, man, I should be on the floor selling. I could I could sell better than these guys. But I wasn't doing mm-hmm. it yet. You know, like mm-hmm. I was just talking back in the whole garage. So, but but mm-hmm. I like that fact that you already had a business rolling. So let's fast forward to today's time. What's mm-hmm. some of the biggest things that you that you see are, are, are the biggest hurdles and struggles that you see people making whenever, whenever they're trying to grow their business?
1: Um, to me, I think the biggest thing is not really understanding their buyer, their target market. I think you really have to put yourself in the space of where your buyer is. Because even if you, and I'm telling you, I've just been sharpening my skills lately. I've been reading books, I've been doing a lot of things. So it's a lot of information that's new and fresh in my mind.
0: Hey, bring it out, come on. (laughs) Don't be selfish with that.
1: (laughs) So the thing about it is, um, there are the three stages of awareness, right? Um, For a consumer, there's the unaware that they have a problem. Then there's the aware that they have a problem. And then there's the solution aware. So when they're unaware, a lot of times um, they're not sure, meaning the consumer is not sure that they actually need any help. They might think they're doing great. And then you have to speak to them to kind of get them to take a good look at what they're doing to see if it actually is as good as they think it is. A lot of people, you'll realize in what you do as well, a lot of people, if you try to reach out to them, they're like, I'm fine, I'm good. Everything's good over here. But when you really do the numbers on the back end, you're like, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's not. <that> not. <laughs> no, or maybe it, it's good for where they are, but they don't know how other beginners, how other people are in comparison. So there's that piece of it. Then there's the part where the person is aware they have a problem. And now they know that they need to do something, but they're not exactly sure what their options are. And then the third piece of it is now I know I need to do something and I'm trying to narrow down who to work with, Mm -hmm. right? Who do I need to go to for the solution? And an interesting fact that I found out recently is that a lot of people speak to the person that's in the solution aware um, phase. We're talking to people thinking that they already know they have a problem and they know they need help. And here I am with my solution set. Fix your problems. When in actuality, I believe it said around ninety percent of people are in the completely unaware phase. They don't even know they have a problem. They think they're fine. So the first step is to try to understand or get them to understand that it's not as great as they think. Without kind of just letting the air out of the balloon, so to speak.
0: Hundred percent. So Take a little
1: finesse with that.
0: Yeah. You- you know, to me, that's like one of the biggest skill sets right now is being able to have that conversation with people and not make it something that's like, that's like an awkward, you know, insulting conversation, right? Where it's like, hey, you, you don't really, you, you're not even thinking about this properly. And I was talking to my wife about this earlier this morning, because we were, you know, we're always talking business and how we launch different products and, and services. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here like, man, um, that, that's one of the biggest opportunities is trying to educate people, but they're in this place of triple darkness, right? Like they don't even know that they don't know that you don't know. Like they're just like, exactly. they, don't any, they don't even exactly. really know kind of what's going on out there to even have something to really compare it against. And I was thinking about how, how do you get someone out of that space, which is tough. And sometimes people don't even know what other people are doing. So, so they might think that they're doing good, but they don't know the possibilities that are capable. You have any hints on how to get people out of that, out of that darkness, out of that closet, <laughs> bring some light, <laughs>
1: You know it's a tough thing it's a tricky thing because nobody likes to hear that their baby is ugly right so Mm -hmm. you can't just Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can't just come in out the gate with that and the first thing is people have to let their guard down a little bit if you get just a little bit then you can have a dialogue with them a lot of times people um, won't allow you to at least have that and i think sometimes too it's the fear of actually finding out where they are but Um, The first thing would be, or I can even um, speak to what I'm doing when it comes to social media. So I'm trying to get my social media content to kind of get them to start thinking about things like that so that when I approach them, it's not so um, intimidating for them. So maybe in some of the things that I'm posting, the videos, the, you know, um, what do you call it? captions things like that i'm speaking to kind of that same space they're in not sure where they are not sure where they stand it's okay to be unsure it's okay to get help things like that so that hopefully it can take their guard down a little bit so that when i do reach out to them to try to speak to them about um potentially coaching them they would actually be okay with at least hearing me out once you get to a space where they're at least able to do that which is um the consultation piece, then this is where you really have to be very, very, um, prepared. Um, and that's the reason why I teach this one call close method, because you want to try to get it all done in the one call. So that means that it's not just showing up on the call that day and getting information from them for the first time about what their issues are, you have to kind of do your research on the front end. And this is a tactic that I learned even from when I was in the corporate world. Um, Literally, as I was dialing different potential customers on the phone, you know, you had the two screens at work. So I have their profile and it tells me, you know, a little bit about them, but nothing that I need to really know. I'm at the same time doing a Google search on the other screen. It doesn't even have to be a 30-minute in-depth research process because again in that particular scenario when you're cold calling you never really know if they're gonna pick up anyway so you don't want to give that much time to preparing and then all you get is voicemail but I would literally at the same time have a Google um, screen up and just to give you a real example so I was actually selling advertising to different apartment communities. And what I was doing then when I was Googling, I would immediately Google the property. It would give me an idea if they're listed on any other sites, like any competitor sites, if they had their own website, what does that look like? What condition is that in? Do they have reviews um, online and are the reviews positive, negative? Where do they stand? Um, do they have a social media presence, especially because if you're not a large, um, organization, it's going to be difficult to try to get people. And you know, this is when it gets a little complicated. It's going to be difficult to get people or your, um, link in a Google search higher on the page. It would be better if you're at least a part of different social media sites so that they can drive traffic to your website. Right? So in a quick instant, I can pull up all of that information. So when they get on the phone, even if they're able to give me a few minutes of their time on the spot, I'm able to talk to them about some of the things that I see. And then instead of saying, well, you have this and you have that, and you have a two-star rating, (laughs) it's not good. You say, did you know, have you seen, did you know this was out there? You know, um, can you tell me a little bit about what you've been doing to address that? Because a lot of times people look at these things and it's like, you know, it's always going to be negative reviews. I don't pay attention to it. We just do what we do here at the property. And that's how people think in general, even about their business. They ignore what they don't like. They focus on the parts that they do. And then they're not really fully addressing the full scope of the business and what people see. Because if you think about it from the consumer's perspective, before I get ready to move into that community, that's what I'm doing first. I'm Googling. Mm -hmm. Now I want to see what it's like to live there. I want to see what it looks like. I don't care necessarily if you're on social media or not, but if you are, you know, are you, do you engage with the residents or not on the Facebook page? When's the last time you posted something like, are you with the times, not with the times? Those are different things that I look at when I'm getting ready to move somewhere. So if I'm looking at it and you as the property manager are not looking at it, then there's already a, a disconnect. So it really starts with kind of doing what we call um, active research. And you do all of that before you get on the call so that when they get ready to tell you that everything is amazing and (laughs) wonderful, Mm -hmm. you can just shine a little light on some of your research.
0: You know, um, I really like this conversation a lot because you're talking about how you can change your language a lot to be more vulnerable. And you're, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think that's one of the keys to really softening that, that first 30, 30 seconds to two minutes of that conversation, if you can get them mm-hmm. on a call, right? I mean, I've always mm-hmm. struggled cold calling. Like, I, mean, I remember being in, in a couple of different places where I was just dialing back and forth, but I wasn't doing any active research and I was mm-hmm. calling up the people and I was just literally almost guessing, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. Hey, where mm-hmm. are you? Like, you're on, at, you know, on this and then assuming, which is even worse, right. Um, mm-hmm. Of, of what they needed. So Talk about a little bit about that language, because now I want to get into some nuances. I I, I like what you were saying a lot about about asking questions like, did you know, you know, this about your business Mm -hmm. to really kind of slow things down? Are there any other questions that kind of help, you know, people unpack and maybe kind of drop the guards a little bit to help people understand that, oh, this person's not a threat on the other line. I I have to hang up on them. And it's more somebody (laughs) more so somebody that's going to help me out. (laughs)
1: You know, it goes back to people need to feel like you care and that you're not just selling them something. So if you call them and it's kind of blind and I know with cold calling, that's the thing that's so tricky when you're in sales a lot of times and you have quotas to meet, they're just like, smile and dial, let's go. And you don't, you know, you don't feel like you get to be the consultant. So then you go into the call, you're a little bit more blind and then, you know, there's an opportunity there, but you don't get the opportunity to really convert it because they're no, thank you. Or, you know, we're fine. And you don't have anything to really try to grasp their attention. So just that little bit of time doing some research before even your, your cold calling can help. And then definitely before on the um, consultation. And on the consultation, they usually are, a, you know, a little bit more open. But I think it's really about speaking to them as if you're actually concerned about what's going on. So you're thinking about it with the, with the customer in mind and not mm-hmm. like, you know, let's hook you up and get you on this package. You're thinking about, you know, these reviews that you see, and it's very concerning. You know, somebody, it, some of the things I would see, like somebody got killed, and I'm like, it's just on there. What are you, what are you doing about this? <laughs> if I see that, if I Google that, and I see that, yeah, you might want, you might want to get that murder scene off your actual website. <laughs> right? Like, well, what are you, what are you doing? You know, or um, it's really about too the open ended questions because you're getting your trying to get them to own their um, issues and own the things that they have going on and then you talk about each thing each category so you may start and talk about um, what they're currently doing and we'll continue with this example what they're currently doing with advertising how do they feel about it do they like the experience that they've received so far okay and if everything seems to be okay then you can move on to the next thing you can start to talk about their social media presence and how are they utilizing that and how it's a great way for you know um, resident engagement things like that then you can uh transition into um you know even communication tools a lot of um, places are not very up to date when it comes to communication and i used to love giving this example people would get terrified um, <laughs> if there was, because this actually happened in a place that I was living at where basically the, um, the water wasn't on one morning, you know, everybody's getting ready to go to work and you turn on the water, the water's not on, you know, you paid your bills, So it's like, what's the problem? Yeah. And you're trying to reach the leasing office, just like everybody else in the neighborhood to find out what's going on and you can't get through and the line is busy. So then what do you do? So our neighborhood, even though I wasn't able to get through, they were able to send out a text message to the residents. But if you don't have a system in place to be able to communicate with them, then you're dealing with people coming to the door. Now it's frustrations now because they can't get through. It's a line outside the building or you're trying to send something via email, letting them know that the water is going to be turned off that evening and they don't see it till they get home with the note that you pasted on the door. Like, that's not helpful. I could have made a plan about what I was going to do if I'd seen that there was an issue prior to. So you have to give them real life examples, um, that they can relate to that could be happening. So they know that they need to address certain things. And so it's really going from category to category, asking them what their current methods are or doing a B and C. What do they like about it? What do they wish they could change? If there was an opportunity to get A, B, and C, would they be open to that? And then um, you take it from there based on their responses. Hopefully, they're more open-minded to the process, especially now that you've poked a couple little holes in their um, situation. Mm -hmm. And then you can move into your pitch, whether it's in a separate call or the same call. So with my coaching business, that for me, when I'm talking to people, it's important to really understand where they are. And a lot of people, especially because it doesn't always require certification, you can wake up today, decide you want to be a coach, create an Instagram and Facebook page. And I'm like, okay, great. We're, you know, This is what we're doing. And nobody's really thinking about the business side of it. They think about the actual art of it. We get to get on the call. We get to talk to people. We get to hear their problems. We get to give them advice. All that stuff is great. But how do you get to that point? How do you get the people on the phone? How do you get their attention? And I think because things aren't always done with intention the way they should be, then people don't really think there is an issue. They'd have to go a severely long period of time of maybe not getting a client or something like that for them to finally say you know what I need to do something
0: no no and that's no no um, is really just
1: kind of speaking to where they
0: are 100% and you know I think you're bringing up some great points and, and there's a really nice strategy that you that you kind of walked us through doing that active mm-hmm. research up front is something that you know I know it sounds boring but men doesn't make a difference because the more research I've done on people, and not spending my whole day doing it because then you won't get anything done, but spending mm-hmm. some moments to at least get some jewels that you can build mm-hmm. an actual conversation around. And I mm-hmm. like that you talked about ha- having an actual story frame as well, because you bake mm-hmm. that into a story of like, hey, this is what I've seen happen in the past. You guys don't want to be like those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. having that seed that just kind of plants in your mind. Um,
1: exactly.
0: I think those are huge, huge nuggets. So let's talk about your actual one call coach coaching strategy because you're working with other coaches what's like right what's what's the current process of building up that actual coaching business like how's that currently work for most coaches i'm not i'm not uh fully uh aware maybe you can educate me a little bit
1: well you know joe i think um you know when i first decided to be a coach And that's why I say it becomes a rude awakening because you realize I've always been a business business savvy person and I've always known sales. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had this whole thing under control. I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to be a coach. This is what I want to do. I'm going to change lives. And boom, promotion. Let's put it out there let the world know. And, you know, we take it from there. And... I learned over time that it requires a lot more, um, preparation and intention than even I initially came into it with. So it required me. So after a period of time, I went back to the drawing board. I sat down was looking at my business thinking, okay, what things do I need to change? What do I need to work on? And I actually worked with, um, a coach twice, two different coaches for two different reasons. To try to take my business to the next level. I think a lot of times people think that coaches don't need coaches, but even my coach, she has a coach. Everybody has a coach. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody works with somebody. So it's important, you you know, iron sharpens iron. You know, people need people to help keep you in line, hold you accountable, make sure you're doing the things you say you're going to do especially because as an entrepreneur, it's easy to say, well, I create my day, I create my business, I can do what I want with it and not be as focused or drilled down as you need to be with all the little minute details. So for me, and, and this is why I can relate when I see other coaches doing this is it goes so much more. um, I mean, it, it takes so much more than just letting the people know and just waiting for people to just book away. It's not like that. (laughs) It's not like that. And especially in an industry where there are so many coaches, so many coaches, um, you have to be the, as they say, the big fish in the small pond, not the small fish in the big pond. And so initially I came in with that thought process. I'm a coach. And it was a little bit more general at that time, as far as who my audience was, who I was targeting. And I didn't want to be too specific in fear that I would be um, limiting my options. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to serve serve the world, (laughs) I guess. And then I realized, exactly. Then I realized I had to, you know, drill down. I had to be very, very specific. And even going through that process, when I thought I was being very specific, just like, go further, keep going. And then I'll throw that, no, keep going. I'm like, how much, you know, <laughs> there's nowhere to go. I'm at the bottom. There's nowhere <laughs> to go. Um, but I realized it's very, very important because while you may eliminate quite a few people, because you're now the big fish in the small pond, as soon as someone is dealing with a particular issue, they know that this is your area um, of specialty. And so you come to mind and you're the one that they can go to for whatever the case may be. So for me, I decided to teach the one called closed method because I remember how effective it was for me in the corporate space. And even as a, um, a sales trainer in that role, I had taught that method to a lot of the new hires, but some of them struggled with it. They struggle with the balance of knowing how much research is too much research and, and or going into it completely blindly. So in this process now, being the coach, I get to walk people through um, my coaching program, really teaching them how much is too much, what they need to do to get ready for their <laughs> consultation calls, and then how to speak to those issues. Because the last thing you want is is uh, to make someone uncomfortable, letting them know that there are all these problems. You want to let them know. It's like you're the doctor and you're giving them the diagnosis. You don't just come in and tell somebody they have cancer. You have to speak to them a certain way so they can digest the information. And then also, as the doctor, you're the one that's going to provide them the help and support they need. So... If you think of it that way, then you don't come in so aggressively. You have a little bit more compassion yeah. and you try to just walk them through it in baby steps and, you know, see where that goes.
0: Man, I, honestly, and, and, and this is, this brings me back to the very beginning conversation that we started with. Why are women closing so much higher than men? Um, I think it's, I think it's those nuggets that you just dropped, uh, having that mm-hmm compassion up front is major these days to like so many people mm-hmm. before you can even start the sales combo right because mm-hmm. everybody knows what I'm up to and it's about making money if you're in like sales period that's like people already know me coming through the door they, they already they already know what I'm up to I'm not gonna sell right. them some actual garbage but come on I'm, I'm right. here to be right. do some business you know I'm right. here to to figure exactly. but it's all the it's all about the actual tact that we kind of deal with and I think that's that's one of the biggest hits for it. So talking about this time because this is a, this is a really crazy time that we're in. I mean, this is us during COVID. I've, I've been in the house for almost two months, and you know, this is um, it's going to be one of those times that really goes down to history. What do you think mm-hmm. sales and how do you think it's going to evolve during this actual time frame? Do you think it's more of the same, or do you see us uh, moving in like a different direction as far as the actual sales conversations and the, the context that we bring? I think, I think
1: it's for the most part the same, because again, remember, I'm talking about speaking to people with a certain sense of uh, compassion. And during this time, people really need that. So if you had maybe the more aggressive approach in the past, you have to change that because people are- Gotta shut it
0: down, huh?
1: Yeah, they're, they're uncertain about what's going on. They don't know what to expect. Everything's crazy. It can be a good thing because people are at home. They have a little bit more time they can finally probably start that business or you know take on that thing they've been wanting to do so they might be more receptive in that way but then finances could be an issue and they may not be receptive so again it still shows that you know you still have the conversations with compassion but maybe you're not starting off with just kind of business-wise where they may be or you know things like that you got to first address the whole pandemic and how they're feeling and their headspace and all of that and then tied into how's business how's it been affected not affected things like that is it sustainable during this period of time and then go from there but it goes back to just you know showing a little empathy because people right now are just um it's just too much that's uncertain and then I've seen some posts too where a lot of people are like you know now everybody's like start your business and they start feeling like you know a lot of the salespeople are now are just so gimmicky like now's the time you're home the pandemic is here what else are you gonna do anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> start your business. Yeah. and people feel you know pushed yeah. they feel pushed you know even if it was something they were thinking of doing they feel like Okay, now, I mean, I have to do it. So it goes back to just speaking to kind of where they are and understanding where they are first with, you know, their needs to see if that's even a need that they have. And then you may also have to customize, you know, some of your payment options a little bit. Maybe you had a payment plan and it broke down into three payments. Well, they might need five or six to be able to cover the cost now if they're not working and things like that, or maybe not. But just being you know, flexible and understanding that people are, are dealing with things, I think they can appreciate that. And they, people like to feel like you care. So if they feel like that, they're more willing to say, you know what? I'm not sure if this was something I was ready to do, but I at least feel like with this person, this person is someone that I feel like I could trust, someone who I think supports me. So even if I don't do anything right now today, when that, you know, the funding does come in, I'm able to do it or we get another stimulus package. I don't know. And we say, OK, you know what? <laughs> All right. there. She's my go to. That's the person I need to talk to, um, because I remember how she spoke to me that day when I was really, you know, not in a good place to be able to move forward.
0: I think um, that's great. Requires it, a it, little it, extra
1: it, finesse.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I think that um, during this time frame, people are needing people to be a lot more compassionate and not tone deaf to what's going on mm-hmm. out there in the world. Like some people are bouncing back after family members passing away and like, mm-hmm. you know, real things happening in their life. And, um, you know, our people are losing jobs and that can be mad stress on the whole family household. So I think that coming, coming across as, as somebody that is, um, you know, understanding and willing to work for someone is the, is the perfect tone to have during this time. You, you know, so, trying to get guys to kind of pivot is, is tough and coaches i think are the right people to kind of help guide people through that process um mm-hmm. you know when you think about coaching and and where it's going how do you see it evolving now moving forward because you're right there are lots of coaches out there but i think there's even more of a need for people to kind of help hold people accountable especially mm-hmm. um, with people having a total overhaul of their lives normally, where people were going into like an actual office space and doing what they did normally. Now they're at home Mm -hmm. and they still got to execute on, on whatever they're trying to accomplish. Um, What's the whole thoughts about the future of of the whole coaching space?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I mean, I think when it comes to at least the life coaching aspect of it, I've seen um, some coaches say that they've definitely been getting more people reaching out to them because they're trying to, Find a way to balance and get their their headspace in order around what's going on. There's anxiety. There's a lot of stuff going on, and so for them, I think especially in the one-on-one, um, with the one-on-one process, I think for a while they might be okay. The life coaches. For those who are business coaches like myself, um, it's a little bit different because you're thinking about. Um, it's usually a little bit more expensive. You're usually dealing with some different types of issues. You deal with mindset, but not as much. Um, so for some, it's been a little tricky during this time, but I think after you know all this is said and done, um, that people will eventually you know go back to, to normal. I think it's good right now being able to be home more, to be able to create more content and try to connect with people in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of right now the time to kind of step back to set up yourself for the future and what you're trying to do. So I still think, you know, there's definitely room for um, the coaching industry to continue to grow. I just think right now we're just in a a funny season. So that's why I say, you know, I use this time too to try to, you know, revamp and redefine and restructure. (laughs) And research, <laughs> all of the research, you know, everything to try to improve upon what I'm doing and, you know, just try to speak to people a little bit differently. Well, and then you- I think after we get past this wave, you know, then we'll, well, things will start to level off again.
0: Well, you know, um, I definitely think your, your whole style of, of selling is really is really the right way to kind of go about these days. I think that, you know, I always make fun about being that old school, you know, used car salesman type of tactics. Mm-hmm. But man, that stuff is so dead. It's, I mean, nobody's gonna, nobody's, nobody's working with those type of people, honestly. It's the people mm-hmm. that are um, in tune to whoever they're talking, you know, talking to, are the people that really mm-hmm. get ahead. So, I think uh, this idea of closing people with like compassion is is, is the whole move. I mean, um. So, what's next for your business because you're talking about creating content I got you on a podcast you know hopefully uh, we can see you doing more and more of these podcasts coming out in the future
1: what's next for the
0: whole one call close method well
1: there's so much you know that I'm I'm trying to work on and this week has been it's been a hectic week but it's been really good I've been learning a lot of things making some changes and taking action on them like immediately so one thing that I'm doing um, next week is I'm doing my first ever sales challenge and um, sales challenges in service-based businesses are a little different than products. It's not something, you know, follow, share, retweet, tag five people. And, you know, it's definitely a little different. So the way m- this looks, um, it's called a confident coach challenge and people are able to opt in. It's a three-day experience. They're going to have homework and we're going to have Um, go live in the Facebook group so we can interact and they can answer or ask questions that I can answer for them on the spot. Nice. And it's just a way, it takes just a snippet of um, my program so they get to see a little teaser of it. And then hopefully by the end, they'll be willing to, some of them will be willing to say, okay, let me go ahead. I like her personality or her teaching style. So it's a great way to get additional exposure so people can understand how I work they can see if it's a good fit but then they get to learn something to, in the process too and you get to meet new people
0: i so like that that's
1: monday tuesday wednesday next week
0: so we'll be so excited next no, it. It's like next, like it. like next week coming up mm-hmm. okay all right so so it's coming, now coming i gotta bump this whole actual show launch <laughs> so we try to <laughs> so so catch up with the challenge now i'm challenged you know <laughs> no but i like it though. it's
1: okay No, it's okay because, you know, it's my first one, but my intention, if it um, goes well, and this is not a philosophy that my current business coach teaches. So the thing is, you know, you don't want to give yourself too much work trying to do 75 things, but it's something that, you know, I've heard about. I'm in a different Facebook group and I've learned a lot about the way these challenges work and I like the concept of it. Because I think a lot of times, too, people, especially because we're in this phase right now where people are concerned about spending a dollar and that return on the investment and things like that, um, it's, they get to get a little exposure to who I am and what I do without officially committing beyond those three days. But it gives them something to, to chew on. And then they can say from there, OK, you know, um, I think this is somebody I'd like to work with. And so I intend to have more down the line. This is my first one.
0: Love it. Love it. So, you know, um, is it only for coaches or is it for anybody that's in sales?
1: So the title is Confident Coach, The Confident Coach. So it's really supposed to be directed more towards coaches than anything else. But I have had a couple of um, business consultants that have signed up as well. Because, it, I mean, in actuality, aren't they all using the same process? You prospect, then you have to do your research, and then you have your consultation, and then you try to you know, close that business. Mm-hmm. So people have to know how to conduct themselves on those calls. And so that's what we intend to discuss. So technically, it's supposed to be for coaches, but it's, it's more open at this point to consultants as well.
0: I love it. So I got to tell anybody that's selling any type of service, because really that's, that's a lot of what of what the whole coaching aspect is, right? Is people people selling mm-hmm. other, other other type of service, especially on the whole B2B play. Um, it mm-hmm. seems like people need to know those strategies. So I'll definitely pump mm-hmm. it up there as well. So, so Neek, this you. has been fun having you on the show. You got to tell everybody how to find you, though. Handles, social media, websites, whatever you want to plug away at.
1: Well, the good thing is, although my name is not easy to spell, I'm going to spell it for you guys. And it's going to be the same handle across all, all platforms. So it's Sonique K. Brown. K is my middle initial. And it's S is in Sam, O, N as in Nancy, I-Q-U-E, the letter K, and then the word brown, like the color. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And I also have my own website, same URL, SoniqueKBrown.com.
0: Ah, that's perfect. That's perfect. You know, um, I'm mad jealous that you're able to get your name. Because my name is Joe, obviously, and everybody gets that out the gate. <laughs> so, so I always that to come up with something crazy, you know, some old super long something. But yeah. so, you know what? Yes. I'll definitely have links to all your uh, contact details in the actual show notes. But this has been well, a lot you. of fun having you on. And I look forward thank to following you. you and all your actual success in the future. Thank you. Boom. We're out.